For the record, we were in France last week without an air condition. It is spiritual. I will find the verse before next week, but I'm pretty sure it's in there. So, This morning, we're beginning a new series of messages on the names of God. If you have a copy of God's Word, look with me to the book of Ezekiel, book of Ezekiel chapter 48. Now, we've been in Jeremiah this summer, so if you just go to Jeremiah, turn right, go through Lamentations, you'll get to Ezekiel, or use the table of, con- uh, the table of content, Not, no judging here, okay? Uh, but book of Ezekiel, chapter 48, the last chapter of, the, of that book. And we're going to be reading a very unusual passage. Let me go ahead and tell you this. When, when I read it, if you're not familiar with it, you're going to look at one another thinking, what is he thinking? What does this have to do with anything, much less the names of God? But there is something in here. There's a, a, a passage, there's a, a thought that we need to hold on to this morning. Book of Ezekiel, chapter 48. Beginning with verse 30. Ezekiel is giving a prophecy of Jerusalem coming back. Listen to what he writes. These are the exit of the city. On the north side, 4,500 cubits by measurement. Shall be the gates of the city named for the tribes of Israel. Three gates toward the north. The gate of Reuben, one. The gate of Judah, one. The gate of Levi, one. On the east side, 4,500 cubits shall be three gates. The gate of Joseph, one. The gate of Benjamin, one. The gate of Dan, one. On the south side, 4,500 cubits by measurement shall be three gates. The gates of Simeon, one. The gate of Issachar, one. The gate of Zebulun, one. On the west side, 4,500 cubits shall be three gates. The gate of Gad, one. The gate of Asher, one. The gate of Naphtali, one. The city shall be 18,000 cubits round about, and the name of the city from that day shall be, The Lord is there. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, today as we begin looking into your names that you've given to us in the Bible, help us, Father, today as we look at you as the magnificent, majestic God you are. Father, we pray you'll speak to us in a very powerful way, a very personal way today, Father, as we realize you're always there. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. New York University professor Adam Adler has written some articles on a concept about names have uh, the ability to shape destiny. Now, there's a technical name for it. It's called uh, nominative determinism. And what it says is that our names will drive outcome. And so, in other words, the name you have may have made a difference in your life, may have had a difference in your profession, may have had a difference in, in how you live. And there are many examples of this where people have a name and then you look at their profession. For example, uh, Lane Beachley is a seven-time world champion surfer. Derek Kittick, kick, kick it is an Australian rules footballer. Stephen Robotham was an Olympic rower for Britain. Usain Bolt, fastest man in the world. Now, people have asked, he's the fastest man in the world by the name of Usain Bolt, but would he be that fast if his name was, for example, Usain Plotting? You know, we don't know. 
Adler concludes, research has shown that our names take deep root with our mental worlds, drawing us magnetically toward the concepts they embodied. And what he's done, and they did some other research, going to large cities, looking at phone books and looking at names of professions, doctors and lawyers and carpenters, and many times the names of the last, the last name had something to do with the profession. And so there is some studies thinking maybe our names have a difference. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't think this, let me ask you a question. Would you go to a brain surgeon named Bubba? <laughs> Defense rest, Your Honor. I mean, is there a brain surgeon out there named Bubba? Names have meaning. Now, when we're picking names of our children in the 21st century, we don't think that way. We pick names that sound good. We pick names, maybe that has some history. For example, in our, our family, there's been five generations of Daniel, and we kind of like that tradition. Well, in the biblical days, the parents really didn't care what the name sounded like. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, it was more than just a, a, a name. It was a, a revelation of that person. Names are very important in the Bible. And so even when God himself would change names for meanings, we see this throughout the Bible. For example, Abram. Abram was named, his name meant exalted father. God changed his name to Abraham, father of the multitude. Jacob, that name meant the grabber of the heel. It meant, it was, it meant deceiver, it means con man. God changed his name to Israel, the one who prevails. In the New Testament, Jesus is talking to Simon. He said, you're, from now on, you'll be known as Peter the Rock. You're going to be a force in the leadership role here. Names have meaning in the Bible. And so in Scripture, a name means purpose, maybe their authority, their character, their makeup. Names are important. So in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word, the word, actual word name is used over a thousand times. And so whenever we study the Bible, we really need to look at their names to see what their meaning could be. Well, because of the depth of God's character, he has various names throughout the Bible to show us who he is. Now, we miss a lot of this in the English language. But God will give to us various names depending on what the people are going through. So just saying God or just saying Lord is really not enough to understand who he is. We're going to begin by one name that's found only one time in the Bible. And it's found right here in the book of Ezekiel. It's a very significant name, one that we need to hold on to. But before we get into it, let me give you some background on the book of Ezekiel. This summer, we studied the life of Jeremiah. Remember Jeremiah? For 40 years, he preached to the people of Judah, if you do not repent, God's going to bring judgment. 40 years, no one listened to him. 40 years, he kept saying, if you don't repent, God's going to bring judgment. He said, the people from the north are coming. Then finally he said, the Babylonians are coming. They still didn't listen. And so the Babylonians came and destroyed Judah, Jerusalem, and the temple. They took the people into captivity, back to Babylon. The book of Ezekiel follows that. Fourteen years after the captivity, Ezekiel, who is a priest, begins to preach a message. He's telling the capti the, those in captivity, 
If you don't repent, judgment is going to be worse. Now, even imagine that. They're, they're slaves. They're in captivity. And here's Ezekiel saying, if you don't repent, it's going to get worse. But through the book of Ezekiel, there's a message of hope. Because Ezekiel sees this great cosmic battle between good and evil. Ezekiel is a very difficult book to study because there are a lot of visions. But what he's showing is that God is going to do battle with evil, and God is eventually going to win. And so there's hope. And so through this book, you see the prophecy of what's happening now in captivity, but also the prophecy of what's coming in the future. Now, please understand what's going on. The people have been in captivity for 14 years. Do you know what they're thinking? Where it's God. I mean, we've been slaves for 14 years. Where is he? God, are you still there? God, are you ever going to help us? God, are you still on your throne? God, is it possible the, the gods of the Babylonians defeated you? That's what they're thinking. Now, before you get judgmental about them, don't we do the same thing? When bad news come, we start wondering, God, are you still there? We receive bad news, we start thinking, God, are you still in control? We receive bad news, we start thinking, well, God, where are you? So the people are asking a question, where is God? And here's Ezekiel, and he's giving this powerful message. And the message throughout the book of Ezekiel is God is still here. And in the last chapter, the last verse, we find these words. The city, talking about Jerusalem, will be 18,000 cubits around about. And the name of the city from that day shall be, the Lord is there. Jehovah Shammah. Now understand, he's talking about Jerusalem. But the people of that time period, when they heard Jerusalem, they thought about God himself. Jerusalem was the city of God. Whenever you talked about Jerusalem, you were talking about God. So the message is that Ezekiel's giving is God is there. Jerusalem is a place, but they're hearing it as the person of God. Jehovah Shammah, God is there. The Lord is there. Here's what he's saying. He is saying to the people, there is no place that God is not. There is no place you'll ever go that God's not there. God has been in your past, even if you didn't know it. God is in your present, even if you don't feel it. And God's going to be in your future, even if you doubt it. This is an incredible truth for us this morning, that Jehovah is there. So this morning, I want to take this this. This phrase, Jehovah Shammah, and give you three truths to hold on to. Number one, because God is Jehovah Shammah, God's presence is watching over you. God's presence is watching over you. If we can grasp this truth that God is always there, I promise you, you will look at life differently. You see, if I know that God is watching me, then I don't have to worry because I know God will always be with me. I know God will give me strength when I need it. I know God will be there to support me. You see, the bottom line, if we understand this truth, regardless of what happened, I will never go through life alone. I will always have God with me. There's a God who's going to be there. You know, 
we really can't control much of the future, and we know even less about the future. But we don't need to because God is there. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 41, verse 10, God gives a promise. He said, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Because God is there, no matter what uncertainties of life we go through, we can have faith. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen next week. We don't know what's going to happen next year. But it doesn't matter because we know God is there. And we, ha- we all have fears in life, and, you know, the, we have the fear, oh, I'll be deserted, I'll be forsaken, I'll be left alone, whatever it may be. In fact, one writer said it this way. He said, all, most of all our fears can be summed up in two words. What if? What if? What if I lose my job? What if my spouse leaves me? What if I lose my health? What if I don't pass this exam? What if Bama doesn't win the national championship? Every great fear you have will begin with what if. But with Jehovah Shammah, we don't have to worry about what if. There is no what if with Jehovah Shammah. He will always be there. He will always be there watching you. The psalmist says in Psalm chapter 32, verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I love that verse because what he's saying is this, I will instruct and teach. Now, the word instruct means to guide. It means to guide you through a maze. I will instruct you and teach you. I will show you, I will guide you, and then I will help you understand. What he's saying is, I know it's happening. I know the future. I'll be there with you. When our son was young, he was, it was a particular game, a video game he was playing and, and there were certain parts of the game that was difficult for him. But I played the game, so I knew. And I would be there watching him and say, okay, uh, go to the right screen, go to the left screen, oh, watch out. I would tell him, prepare him for what's coming. But there was one part of the game he really couldn't do. There was just one segment he just couldn't figure it out. He didn't have the dexterity to do it. And he said, Dad, can I just skip this part? No, you've got to get through this part, son. You've got to do it. And he said, I can't do it. So without him knowing... He knows now. I changed the setting. Make it easier. He came in and did it. I changed the setting back and he finished the game. Do you realize that's what God does? Whatever you go through life, God is there guiding you, helping you. And when life is too difficult, God changes the setting by giving you more strength, more peace, or something else. He's Jehovah Shammah. His presence is watching over you. Secondly, because God is Jehovah Shammah, God's purpose is working in you. God's purpose is working in you. Now, this is logical. If God is always with us and God is always working around us, that means God has a purpose in us. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, you've heard this before, is Romans 8, 28. Paul writes, Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I love that verse. Elton Trueblood, the Quaker writer, after the death of his wife said, if I had to have all the Bible taken from me except one verse in the Bible, I would keep this verse, Romans 8, 28. Now, notice what he does not say. People misquote this verse. He does not say all things work out the way I want them to. 
doesn't say that. Nowhere in the Scripture does it say that. I mean, we, we would like that interpretation, but it's not there. It doesn't say uh, all things have a happy ending on, the, on earth. Well, we know that's not true. We know reality, life is difficult. We know everyone cannot be the valedictorian. Everyone cannot be the high score of the game. Every person in the United States will not be the president of the United States. We only elect them every now and then. Every business is not going to make a million dollars. Every person cannot be healed. We understand happy endings are not always there. But God gives us something better than a happy ending. This is that promise in Romans 8, 28. He says, we know. Now, let's just look at the verses. We know. He begins, we know. Paul is saying, I, this is not I'm thinking about or I'm hoping or, or I, I'm wishing. He said, no, I know. Whatever comes my way, I know. I have this assurance. God is there. Maybe he was thinking about Joseph and all the trials he went through. God knew and remembered. Maybe he's thinking about uh, Daniel in the lion's den. Maybe he's thinking about David fighting a giant. Maybe he's thinking about Noah facing all the persecution while trying to build a boat. Whatever it may be, here's Paul saying, I know this is real. We know something. What do we know? We know that God causes. Stop there. It shows that God is the grand designer of all things. Listen, I don't believe in fate. I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in karma. I don't believe in chance. I believe in a sovereign God. And and he says, we know God causes. Then he says, all things. You say, what does that mean? Well, let me explain the Greek language. It means all things. Everything. Does that mean illness? Yes. That means unemployment? Yes. Does that mean broken relationships? Yes. Does that mean failures? Yes. That means freak accidents? Yes. Does that mean stupid decisions that I make? Yes. What he says is God works all things, everything. The things that I do, the things I don't do, the things I can control, the things I cannot control. God says I can use anything in your life for my glory. Now, please understand this. It does not say God causes all things. God does not. I mean, to attribute that is really make God into a monster. God is not capable of sin. It does not say God causes all things. He says God causes all things to work together. This is huge. Paul is saying there is evil in this world. We make bad decisions. Bad things happen. And God says, I can take that. And I can make it work for good. Work together. Not an accident. Not separate. I take all this and make it work together. I said before, Eileen, I used to do cross-stitching. If you ever look at cross-stitching, and on one side you just see all this strings, there's no pattern, it's ugly. You flip it over, it's a beautiful picture. On this side of heaven, we see the strings. It makes no sense. Oh, it's like baking a cake. You know about all, all the materials to bake a cake, and, and, and there's the sugar, and there's the chocolate. Yes, there has to be chocolate. Uh, there's the eggs. Together, they make a cake. You do not want to eat them separately. I don't think anyone in this room is going, hey, I can't wait to eat some flour today. No. But together, it makes a cake. God says, in your world, whatever happens, I can take, causing it to work together for my glory. Now, he makes a statement here we need to hear. This is not for everyone. This promise is not for everyone. He says, Those who love God, all things 
do not work together for all people. But those who love God, it will. And those who are called to his purpose, those who are doing God's will. If you're doing God's will, you love God, God says whatever comes in your life, I can take it and I can make it work together for my good. So if God is not the love of your life, you cannot hold on to this promise. If you're not living for God, you cannot hold on to this promise. But if you do love God and you do follow him, this is a great promise. Third, because God is Jehovah Shammah, God's place is waiting for us. God's place is waiting for us. God is always there. Wherever we go, God's there. Which means in death, God is there. Which means as believers, we have a place. You see, no matter how bad life gets, no matter how difficult life gets, we understand this world is now our final destiny. It's only a journey. I mean, the Apostle Paul said that. Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if we have hope in Christ in this life only, we're of all men most to be pitied. That's amazing to me. Paul says, if all we're preaching is Christ just on this planet and it makes no difference anywhere else, pity us. Paul says, we have a better place. Jesus, talking to the disciples, right before the crucifixion, tells them in John chapter 14, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places or, or mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. That word prepare means specifically for us. The word place means a place. It's the word topos. It's not an imagination. It's not a feeling. It's a place. We have a place for us. And God says, because I'm always there, I'm there with you here on this earth, but I'll be with you in death because I'll be with you in heaven. C.S. Lewis said, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. He's right. You look at history, when Christians do the most for the kingdom, it's because they're thinking of the next place. And we can think of that next place because Jehovah Shammah, God is there. And we can hold on to that. And because I know wherever I go, God is there, I can go with confidence. Our hope is based on what Jesus did on the cross. Our hope is based on that empty tomb. Our hope is based on his word. Therefore, I can get through life and I can get through death and so can you. So, what does that mean for us this morning? If God is Jehovah Shammah, it means three things very quickly. Number one, you need to choose to trust him. You need to choose to trust him. I mean, it's one thing to say that God is always present. It's another to believe it. Have you chose to trust him? Number two, you need to live for the Lord right now. If God is always there, you need to choose to live for him right now. You see, if you have Christ in, as your Savior, the Holy Spirit lives within you. God dwells in you. You are his temple. You must live for him. Not tomorrow. You need to live for him today. Live for the Lord right now. And third, if God is Jehovah Shammah, don't fear the future. Because God is there. You see, some people, they live in the present. Some people focus on the past. But many are fearful of the future. 
Jehovah Shammah has that covered. I mean, it'd be, it'd be great if God just said, I'm going to walk with you through whatever you go through. But he gives us a greater promise. He said, I will empower you. I will even arrange details in your life you haven't even considered. Hebrews 13, 5, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Jesus, Matthew 28, and surely I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And I believe that God brought some of you in this service today or watching online to hear this message. God is saying to you, don't give up. I'm with you. I'm there with you step by step by step. Now, if you haven't given your life to Christ, you need to do so because that's the first step. To say to God, Lord, I realize I, I, I can't say it myself. I admit I'm a sinner. And I do believe that Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago for my sins, buried, and third day arose. And I confess. I confess everything to him. Will you do that? Will you make that decision? You see, it was, it was a poet, John Donne, in the 17th century, he prayed this prayer. He said, oh God, never suffer us to think that we can stand by ourselves and not need thee. You cannot stand alone. And you need God. Will you make that decision today? If you're watching online, if you would text the word today at 270-398-5005, a minister will give you a call. If you want to give your life to Christ or want to talk to a minister, just text the word today, 270-398-5005, and someone will call you. But for those of you who are here this morning, will you make that decision? As we begin singing, if you just come to the front, talk to me or one of the ministers, or, or maybe where you'll be standing in a moment, give your life to Christ, or meet with one of us at the Connection Center, however God is leading you. But make that decision, because God has given us this incredible promise I will be with you no matter what. Would you stand by your heads? Our Heavenly Father, even uttering these words, it's hard to grasp the magnitude of it. That the God of the universe, the God who created all things, the God who holds all things together has given to us a promise that he will always be there for us. That that God who sent his son Jesus to die for us said, I will be there. You don't have to worry about your past. I have forgiven it. You don't have to worry about the present. I'm standing right there with you step by step. You don't have to worry about the future because I've already, I'm already there. I'll be with you and strengthen you and help you whatever it may happen. Father, this is an incredible promise. And Father, for that person who's struggling right now, wondering should they make a decision for you, show them the cross, how Jesus died for them, how Jesus gave his life so that they could have eternal life in heaven, how Jesus died for them because of love. Remind them, Father, today they are loved. And Father, as always, whatever takes place now, you get the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.